0: You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at Sungrove.org. Now today I just want to start off by giving you an opportunity to gamble. I want you guys to gamble, it's just in your heads. It's imaginary. Don't worry. One side we have LeBron James. LeBron James, six foot eight, two hundred and fifty pounds. On the other side, we have a third grader. Now, just a random third grader. If I go out to the Sunday school class out there, I'm just going to pick a third grader at random. And this third grader is going to play one-on-one against LeBron James. Now, if you had to wager your entire life's savings on who would win this epic battle right here, who would you put your money on? I'm guessing that almost all of you would say LeBron James. Why is that? Well, he's bigger, he's stronger, he's faster, he's more athletic, he has more experience, and he's widely regarded as the best player in the NBA. So that means that he would be the safe bet even if he was playing against another NBA player, let alone some eight-year-old kid that we just took out of the class out there. Well, today, we want to talk about faith, and I want to talk about God faith, and God. And we're going to look at one of the most, one of the greatest stories of faith in the Bible. One of the greatest stories of faith in the Bible. And so we're going to talk about faith, and we're going to talk about God, and the correlation between the two. So before we go any further, let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are God. We thank you that you control everything, including the weather. Thank you for this much-needed rain, I pray now that you would just guide us through your word, that you would teach us, that you would use it to guide us and correct us and to rebuke us, and that we would just learn to seek after you more. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So, take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22, and today we're going to look at the story of Abraham and his son Isaac. Now, How many of you in here are parents? Raise your hand if you're a parent. All right, well, if you don't have kids yet, then just use your imagination. I want you to pretend that you do have kids. And as we're going through our passage this morning, I want you to put yourself in Abraham's shoes. Like, how would you feel and how would you react if you found yourself in the situation we're about to read about? So Genesis 22, we're going to start with verse 1, and we're going to eventually go down to verse 13. Verse 1, now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to Abraham, here I am, or said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. So verse 1, it starts us off by saying, after these things. After what things? Let me just quickly review for you what's happened here. Genesis 15, God promises Abraham a son. Genesis 16, Abraham and his wife, Sarah, they get impatient. And so Sarah gets this brilliant idea and says, hey Abraham, why don't you sleep with my maidservant, Hagar? And so he does, and Hagar gets pregnant and bears him a son. And Sarah ends up despising both of them. In Genesis 18, God reaffirms this promise to Abraham. And Sarah basically laughs it off because she's almost 90 years old at this point. And of course now, Genesis 21, she gives birth to Isaac. Now when Isaac is born, Abraham is 100 years old and Sarah is 90 years old. And so this is where we've picked it up here in chapter 22 where verse 1 says, after these things. And then the rest of verse 1 tells us that God tested Abraham and Abraham's response was, here I am. Now notice Abraham's response. It's immediate. Right? No questions asked. God calls out and he says, here I am. Next in verse 2. He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. There's kind of this buildup going on here in verse 2. Each phrase just kind of adds to the anticipation of the story. God says first, take your son, then he says, your only son, the one you love, yes, take Isaac, the child of promise, and take him with you to Moriah, which was like three days away from where they were, and we'll talk about that later. So God says, take your son with you to Moriah for what? For vacation? For father-son bonding? Or maybe God is finally going to make that great nation out of Abraham that he's been promising him. What's the great buildup here? What's the climax of this anticipation? God tells Abraham to go there and offer up Isaac as a burnt offering. And then you realize how each phrase was just more excruciating than the next. Each word just hits Abraham just a little bit harder. Your son. Your only son. The one you love. Isaac. Take him and offer him up to me. Now, random fact here. This is the first time that the word love is used in the Bible. And so I think it's interesting that the first time the word love is used is used in the context of the love that a father has for his son. And so it kind of emphasizes the depth of the sacrifice that God was requiring of Abraham. So now, let's pause real quick. As a parent, how are you feeling right now? And before you start thinking too much about that, Let me give you a few more details about this burnt offering here. For a burnt offering, in regards to the sacrifice, you are supposed to slit his throat, rip him up, slice him into quarters, and then lay him out in order on the wood, and then burn it all to ashes. This is what Abraham was told to do to his son. Not only does he have to give up Isaac, but Abraham is going to be the one to inflict the fatal wound upon his only son, the one he loved. So again, putting yourself in Abraham's shoes, how are you feeling right now? Now, to top it all off, God doesn't even have the courtesy to give him all the details. He just says, yeah, go over there, go to Moriah, and I'll tell you the rest later. And for some of us in here, That would not fly, would it? Because we need to know all the details. But this is where God leaves him. And in verse 3, we see how Abraham responds. Verse 3 says, So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. So without knowing all the details, what does he do? Abraham gets up early to obey God. And I can't imagine that he got a good night's sleep anyways. And so he gets up early, he saddles his donkey, he chops the wood for the offering. He takes it upon himself to make sure that everything gets done. And so Abraham does everything that he can to make sure he obeys. Without hesitation or delay, Abraham obeys here. And he doesn't sit around sulking He doesn't sit around dragging his feet, or coming up with 50,000 other reasons why he should hold off. And I would like to think that chief among those reasons and thoughts going through his head is this. What in the world is my wife gonna think, or say, or do to me when she finds out what I've done? And if you're a husband here, you understand the horror of that thought right there, right? But nothing prevented Abraham from obeying. For him, obedience to God outweighed any of the possible consequences, including wrath from his wife. In his mind, there was no other option. He couldn't not obey God. And so he didn't let anything get in his way of carrying out God's will. Nothing got in his way. Verses 4 to 6. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so the two of them walked on together. So verse 4 says, on the third day. And I mentioned before that Moriah was three days away. And at first, this seems just like an arbitrary number being thrown out, right? But I feel like there's more to it than that. Three days is a lot of time. That's a lot of time. And knowing what Abraham knew, I'm sure it felt even longer for him. So you gotta understand, this is three days for him to think and to ponder and to change his mind. Three days of walking side by side with his son, riding side by side with his son. And I wonder what the conversations were like. I mean, how awkward did Abraham feel during these conversations? Also, a three-day journey means that Abraham did not obey out of impulse. If God had asked him, slay Isaac right now, then people could conclude, oh, he was just crazy. It was just a brief moment of insanity. I mean, he was well over 100 years old here, so the old man probably just went cuckoo, right? But after three days, no one could argue this. And for him to travel three days and then still go through with the sacrifice, the act had to be deliberate and calculated. And so Abraham, Abraham, he makes this three-day journey, which is more than enough time to turn around, to go home. To go home with his son alive and his wife none the wiser. So when Abraham arrives at Moriah, there is no doubt why he is there and what he is planning on doing. And then we see in verse five, he tells his servants to stay behind. Why? Well, I believe the underlying reason for this is so they don't become an obstacle. Just in case they think that old man Abraham has gone nuts. I mean, if they see Abraham about to kill his son Isaac, they're probably gonna intervene. And so what Abraham does is he gets rid of the last possible outside obstacle or hindrance to his obedience. And then in verse five, we see Abraham say something pretty amazing. He says that he and Isaac will return. And just for a little context, let me read to you from Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, verses 17 to 19. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, "In Isaac your descendant shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. And so we see in Hebrews that this statement in verse five that Abraham makes, it's a statement of faith. He believed that if Isaac died, that God would bring him back somehow. Even though up to this point, there hasn't been anything like a resurrection or people being brought back from the dead. There is no previous basis on which Abraham could base this belief on except for the fact that God is God. And the last thing I want to point out in verse 5 is that word worship. This is also the first time the word worship is used in the Bible. And now, knowing what God has asked him to do Abraham tells them that we are going to go up there to worship. He's going up to worship. And then finally, in verse 6, Abraham, he gathers together everything that he needs to complete the sacrifice. He doesn't accidentally leave something behind to try to delay anything. He makes sure that all the preparations are made. And then we get to verse 7. And to me, verse 7 is like this humongous salt rock that's being placed on an open wound. This might be the most excruciating part of the three-day journey for Abraham here. The first part of verse seven says this, Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, "'My father,' and he said, "'Here I am, my son.'" Now, the way that Isaac endears himself to Abraham here by saying, "'My father,' that's gotta hurt.'" I mean, that has to hurt, right? But then, here's the kicker. The rest of verse seven says this, and he said, "Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering?" And this simple question that Isaac asks, it shows one thing: that Isaac gets it. And if you're a parent, you probably understand this just a little bit better than the rest of us. Isaac gets it. He has listened to his father. He's observed his father. He has learned from him, and now he understands. He knows exactly what a burnt offering is and how to do it right. And so, in this comment right here, in this question, Isaac, he demonstrates his desire to worship God in the proper way. And maybe up to this point, Abraham doesn't know if Isaac's been listening. He doesn't know if he really gets it. But at this very moment, He knows now that his son has been listening and learning from him all these years. And it's not in our text, but I can imagine at this point, Abraham could not be prouder. He has raised his son well. He has raised his son to fear and to love God. And yet he knows that soon after this proud parenting moment, he is the one who is going to terminate the life of his son. So again, as a parent, try and imagine that you're Abraham here. How are you feeling? How conflicting is this? Verse 8. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. And just like in verse 5, we see the great faith of Abraham again. He doesn't know what's going to happen. God doesn't tell him. But he just has faith in God and that God will somehow provide And then it says that he just continues on walking with him. And I think to myself, how does he do it? Like, how does he keep himself together and not break down and just burst out into tears walking next to his son? How does does he do it? And then verse 9. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood, and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And here is where I get... Throw him for a loop here. It says that Abraham, he built the altar, he bound Isaac, and he put him on the altar. Well, most Bible scholars, they say that Isaac was anywhere from 16 to 25 years old at this time. Some people even think he was 33 years old. Think about that. 33 years old. Now, how much effort do you think it would take to tie up a 16 to 25-year-old boy. But now before this, you got to remember that you got to catch him first, right? I mean, it would take a lot of effort to do this. Now also remember, Abraham is anywhere from 116 to 125 years old. Not exactly a young, strapping lad anymore. Now, after you catch this kid and you tie him up, you still gotta lift him up onto the altar, and then you gotta make sure he don't roll away in an effort to make a getaway for it. Because most 16 and 25 year olds, they're gonna fight back. They're not gonna let you just do that. And so, in order to accomplish this, you might just have to knock the kid out. Well, if you look to your left, right over there, there's this poster hanging there, and you will see these two smiling faces looking at you. CJ and Randy. And up there, you probably can't see it, but it's right below you. Now, both of them are in high school. Both of them are cross-country and track athletes. And so I think to myself, what would it take for me to catch one of them and tie them up? It would take a lot of effort for me to do that, let alone have the energy afterwards to hoist them up onto the altar. Now, just imagine your grandparents. Or your great-grandparents chasing after them and trying to tie them up? Good luck with that, right? So how in the world does old man Abraham do this? God must have gave him super strength, right? Or maybe God helped subdue Isaac. Or maybe he put him to sleep temporarily. Well, the answer to this, it's so simple, but it's even more amazing. Abraham, he didn't have to fight. He didn't have to tire himself out. Isaac willingly let his father tie him up. And so now, not only do you see the faith of the father, but of the son as well. And this had to be such a bittersweet moment for Abraham. The son who he trained up to fear and love God He now puts that training into practice by demonstrating perfect obedience. And as willing as Abraham was to sacrifice his son, Isaac was just as willing to lay down his life in obedience to his father. He didn't complain, he didn't argue, he didn't struggle. He just let his father tie him up and he willingly laid down his life. I hope by now you're starting to get this idea that this is not your ordinary father-son combination here. Verse 10, Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Verse 10 here shows us that Abraham was not messing around. God told him to do something, and he was going to do it. And if you look at that last phrase, it says, to slay his son. That little word, to, it shows intent. Intent. Abraham was set on going through with this. And so Abraham, he picks up the knife, probably with tears in his eyes, with the intention of slaying his son, Isaac. There's no going back for him. Finally, verses 11 to 13. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. So, just as Abraham is about to kill Isaac, God intervenes. And he provides a ram as a substitute to take the place of Isaac. And so Abraham goes over and he takes the ram and he offers it up to God as a burnt offering. And so in these 13 verses, God gives us a great example of what it means to place your faith in him. Now, there are a lot of things we could talk about here. I mean, there's a lot. But here's probably my main thought. And we'll just kind of flow from here. One of the main things that comes to mind for me is this. Abraham was awesome. He's a little crazy, but he was awesome. But why don't I have faith like this? And how do I get to the point where I can have faith like Abraham had? There's two things I want to take from my text here. Two ways to kind of grow your faith, if you will. The first is this. You need to know God. You need to know God. If you look at our passage, it becomes pretty clear that Abraham knows God. We see this from the beginning in verse 1. God calls out to him, and Abraham replies, here I am. And his response, it implies familiarity. He knows God, and he knows God's voice. And so he responds right away. And we see this again in verse 11. Now, if this was some weird, like, creepy-looking stranger guy, Abraham probably wouldn't respond in the same way. Also, in verse 5, he says that both he and Isaac will return. And we read in Hebrews why he says this. God made promises to him, and he considered that God was able to raise Isaac from the dead. And the reason that he is able to come to this conclusion is not because he knows the promise that was made to him, but because he knows the person who made that promise. Let's review some of the facts here. Isaac was the child of promise. A great nation was to be made out of Abraham through Isaac. Abraham, he's a smart guy. And so he knows what dead means. He knows what it means to be dead. He's never seen anything or anyone come back from the dead. And so he's thinking here, man, if Isaac dies, it's over. He's dead. There is no great nation. But his faith tells him that this is God. And God made me a promise. And God always keeps his promises. And so even, I don't, even though I don't understand what's going on or how it's going to work out or what God's going to do, what I know about God and what I know to be true about God it far outweighs what my human thinking and my personal experience tells me is true. And so with all these different variables in play and all these different outcomes that are possible, Abraham knows that the one thing that is impossible is for God not to be God. And so he knew that God had a plan and that he would be faithful in fulfilling his promise. If you think back to the beginning, I asked you to choose between LeBron James and a third grader. Well, is it weird that you made your decision without any information at all about who this third grader is? Like, rationally, if you were going to place a bet, like wagering your entire life savings, at the very least, you want to know who's playing the game. Well, for us, it didn't matter. Why? Because it's LeBron and you know enough about LeBron James to know that it doesn't matter who this third grader is. And so you made a decision based solely on who LeBron James is. Let me tell you, it is the same way with God. When you know God, you don't need to know all the details. You don't need to know how it's all gonna make sense, because sometimes it doesn't. All you need to know is God. He is the only variable of importance. When you know God, the rest of the equation is irrelevant. It's irrelevant. So let me ask you this. How well do you know God? How well do you know God? Do you spend time with Him to learn about Him and about His character? Do you know what He desires? Do you know what He wants? How do you do this? Two ways, very simple, read and pray. And I was telling young adults a few weeks ago back that this could be an application point every single week because it's that important. Read your Bibles and pray. Read what God says, talk to God, listen to God. That's how you get to know him. And the more that you know God, the more you will want to place your faith in him. And the more that you place your faith in him, the more you realize that putting your faith in anything else is stupid. It's stupid. When you know God and who He is and how wonderful and how glorious He is, you won't want to place your faith in anything else. So if you want to have faith like Abraham, get to know God. Foster your relationship with Him. Spend time with Him. Get yourself to the point where you can say, God. I don't understand what's going on here. I don't know what's going to happen, what you're doing. But I know that you are God and I will rest in your promises and in the truth of your word. So first, you need to know God. And then second, if you want your faith to grow, you need to let Isaac go. You need to let Isaac go. If you're being honest, most of us in here can finish the sentence right here. I am willing to trust and follow God as long as he doesn't ask me to, and you can fill in the blank. As long as he doesn't ask me to do this, to give this up, to go here, then yeah, me and God, we're good. We're we're good. But if you look at Abraham, he was willing to sacrifice everything in obedience to God, including his son. What are you holding on to? What are you holding back from God? Is it time? Is it money? Your career? A relationship? An addiction? Material things? What if God asked you to give up your cell phone? The air just got a little bit thinner in here, right? It's, it's like that Chevy commercial. The guy gathers everyone in the room, he takes their cell phones, and he starts putting them in this thing that looks like a wood chipper. And so he puts like one phone, two phones in, and they come out in shreds. And so this girl over there has seen enough. She runs over and she saves her cell phone. Most of us can relate, right? Whether it's a cell phone or something else in our life, there are things that we just don't want to give up, things we don't want to lose, things we don't want to live without. Well, let me encourage you this morning to worship God by letting go. Take whatever Isaacs you have in your life, whatever you love, and give them up to God if you look at verse 5 again Abraham is intent on offering Isaac to God and Abraham says that he is going to worship he calls it worship so worship God today by offering up the Isaacs that are in your life and as you saw in our story when you give up Isaac God does amazing things God does amazing things. Now, is it going to be hard to get to that point? Yes. Is it going to hurt? Probably. But will it be worth it? Absolutely. And I can say that confidently not because I know what each one of you in here are holding on to, but because of who God is. If your God is like my God, the God of the Bible, then you need to let these things go and give them up to him. Because it's for your benefit. God wants your complete and total surrender. And when he has it, you'll start to see God do amazing things. And I want to transition just a little and talk about a little more practically here. Everybody again, I know it's hard if you're in the front, look to your left, your left, up there. You see three posters up there. There's three posters up there. And it says, year of the volunteer on it. This is Sun Grove Church. Year of the volunteer. And it's November. It's raining. It's November. So that means we are in month 11 in the year of the volunteer. Why aren't you serving yet? Why aren't you serving? And if you're like a lot of people, you're sitting there thinking, well, yeah, he's not talking to me. No, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. Why aren't you serving yet? 11 months into the year of the volunteer, 700, 800, 900 people at this church. But yet we still hear on a regular basis that we have a huge need for volunteers. Why is that? If you go to Arco Arena or Sleep Train and there's a Kings game going on, what do you see? A bunch of people who love their Kings, right? I mean, they're willing to spend a bunch of money to screen their heads off for a couple hours, fight through traffic, and give up like four hours of their night just to support their beloved kings. And at the end of it all, what do they get out of it? What value do the kings bring to their lives? Do the kings offer eternal life? Freedom from the bondage of sin? An opportunity to be called the child of God? the privilege to serve him and to bring him glory? What value do the kings bring to their lives? Well, frankly, if we're talking about the last eight years or so, they just offer a whole bunch of losses, right? Just a whole bunch of losing. But yet, the fans, they still come out. They still support. They still support the beloved kings. Why? Because they are passionate about their kings. Well, how much more passionate should we be about our God, who does all these things for you, and a whole lot more. (laughs) Quit quit being lazy, and quit making excuses, and do what you were created and saved to do. And don't delay. Get up early in the morning, that's what Abraham did, and make it happen. If that means you have to start coming to the 9 a.m. service, then do it. And some of you are probably sitting here thinking, well, 9 a.m., that's, that's too early. Is it really? I'm betting most people in here get to work during the week by nine. If you're a state worker, probably eight. Yet, 9 a.m. is too early to come to God's house? That's pathetic, isn't it? Most of us could easily spend a couple hours a day on our cell phone, on the internet, So is it really too much to ask that you spend a few hours a week in God's house serving and worshiping Him? If your answer is yes, then you need to reevaluate whether or not you really understand and believe the gospel. Offer up the Isaacs in your life, whatever is holding you back, time, people, insecurities, football on a Sunday morning. Offer these up to Him worship Him, and then start serving. And now, for those of you who are sitting there saying, well, I don't feel ready, I just got here, I just became a believer. Let me encourage you to take the steps that you need to take to be ready. Start Operation Timothy, get discipled, join a community group, do something, but don't just sit there idly. Now, you gotta understand that I'm not here trying to guilt you into anything, I simply want you to do what you were created to do, what God saved you for. In our Young adults ministry, we're going through Ephesians, and we're in chapter 4 right now. And the first verse of Ephesians chapter 4 says this, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Paul here, he is imploring you, he is begging you to walk worthy of your calling. And for a lot of you, that means putting to use the gifts God gave you. So stop sitting around and doing nothing and squandering the gifts and talents that God has given you. You make a million dollars a year. Great. Now do something meaningful with your life. Give these things up to God. Put your faith in Him and in what He is calling you to do. Now, I wouldn't feel right if I didn't touch on one last thing here. If you're here today, and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're probably thinking to yourself, this is nuts. This is just crazy. I mean, who in their right mind would willingly sacrifice and kill their only son? Well, let me tell you something. You're right. It is nuts. And this is exactly what God did for you. Except for the fact that he went through with it, He sacrificed His Son, His only Son, the Son He loved for you, for your sins, and so that you would be able to spend eternity with Him in heaven. In Genesis 22, we get this beautiful picture of God the Father and Christ the Son, the the Father willingly sacrificing His only Son, the Son willingly laying down His life, why? Because of was his father's will. And Jesus submitted perfectly to God's will. And he did this for you. Jesus willingly laid down his life for you. He died in your place as a substitute for your sins. And so just like Abraham, he is asking you now, are you willing to offer up your Isaacs to follow him? To live a life of faith, and total dependence on the one true and living God. And so if you're sitting there and saying, that's me, I need this, that's what I need. Or if you simply want to know more about what it means to place your faith in God, I invite you to come talk to me, come talk to anyone else you saw up on this stage, and we would love to tell you about this God who loves you so much that he was willing to sacrifice his son for you. So yeah, it sounds kind of nuts, but like I said earlier, once you know God, nothing else matters. Sun Grove Church, have faith. Offer up your Isaacs to him and know that God is God. And that is all you will ever need. Let's pray. Lord, we once again just thank you for your word. We cannot thank you enough. I pray now for those of us who are holding on to things, that your spirit would just work in us, that you would break us, and that you would use us mightily to spread your word and your glory throughout the world. I pray that you would just put in us just that that irresistible feeling that we cannot do anything else but serve you. I pray that you continue to work in our lives and that we would seek to do nothing but to bring you glory above all else. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sungrove Podcast. For information on Sungrove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.